thank you so much for your wonderful presence. We thank you for the sweet communion of fellowship that we have in this house. Now, Father, as we prepare our hearts, we want to hear from you. We want to be near you, Lord God. We want you to touch our hearts with your holy and righteous hand. We want to be moved by your spirit, by your love. We want to be lifted up in those moments of doubt. We want to be encouraged in those moments of discouragement. But Lord God, above all, we just ask you, we desire for you to do what you want to do in our life today. We come into the North Gate, and our desire is to leave out of the South Gate. Have your way with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Remember that? That was the, that, that was the old Superman. You know, he was, I'm not sure about you, but uh, he was one of my heroes. I like the fact that how he was able to uh, take a weapon like a gun and bend it in knots with his bare hands. I like the fact that he was faster than a speeding bullet. I, I, I like the fact that Superman can uh, change the trajectory of the entire earth by his speed and his power. Who's your hero? And like me, I wonder if you ever wanted to be like that hero. I certainly did. But why? Uh, certainly as a kid, you can imagine uh, wanting to be like Superman because he was so strong, right? Uh, because he could fly, he could be anywhere. He had uh, the, uh, the eyes that could melt still or he could see through, uh, see through things with his eyes. Who wouldn't want to be like Superman? He was strong. But one thing I didn't like about Superman, I didn't like Clark Kent all the time. Because as they would say in certain places, that Clark Kent was a punk. I didn't like him because he appeared to be weak. He appeared to allow people to run over him. I, I didn't like that, uh, that part of Superman, but that was who he was. Some people like Batman. Batman and Robin. Pow. Thud. Remember the, uh, uh, the cartoon uh, uh, balloons that would show up on the television? Bang, bam, all those things. 
until the day I learned about Green Hornet. And I remember the episode when Batman and Robin fought uh, the Green Hornet in Cato. And if you remember, Cato was really Bruce Lee. But you see, Batman and Robin, uh, they were superheroes, and they were supposed to be bad. But the Green Hornet and Cato, uh, in my eyes, they were even badder. One thing about Cato, he showed the weakness of both Batman and Robin. Until the one time that I saw Robin hit Cato, I said, no way in the world. But every superhero, they have their pluses and they have their minuses. They have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. But nevertheless, uh, like uh, most people, uh, we had those that we wanted to be like. Today's message, we continue in the book of Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Standing firm through imitation. Here we're going to hear about how uh, Scripture tells us uh, that we need to imitate another. Nothing new, uh, but it's something that Paul, he reiterates for us uh, because it's important for the body of Christ. We find here that imitation is the path to standing firm. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Paul writes, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, imitation, it is a joint effort. Again, Paul, he refers to the saints of the Lord as as brothers, indicating that relationship, we've talked about this before, that goes deeper than just being mere acquaintances or someone you would see occasionally. They were brothers. They were locked arm in arm. In fact, in the original language, that it doesn't start off as brothers. It starts off as join in. It's join in in the original language, Brothers, Uh, so the first thing out of the gate, the first thing on Paul's mind was joining in. uh, That there is an action that he wants us to come and be a part of whatever he's talking about. So he says, join in, brothers. Join in, sisters. One of the challenging things, the challenging aspects about imitating another is the fact that how much should we imitate another for? Uh, To what degree should we go? Should we imitate them all the way, or should we just pick and choose what we decide to follow? The title of this series is called uh, Sticking Together Because or For uh, the Joy of the Gospel. And if that is the title, then there are circumstances that would prevent the sticking together of believers. That's just the facts of life. There's a current, a brand new documentary out on television. It portrays supposedly Christian individuals who are called only to minister to people who have power, money, and influence. 
So if you don't have power, if you don't have money, if you don't have influence, now I'm not talking about, well, I have enough saved up for retirement, you know, I have maybe a million or two dollars. Uh, they're not talking about that. They're talking about people who are, who are, who are millionaires, who are billionaires. They're talking about uh, kings and queens of, of societies, whether they're Christian or not. They're talking about other folks who can influence uh, a whole swatch of people. Uh, they said for them, uh, that's what they are, that's, are the group of people they're called to minister to. But there's something inherently flawed with that approach. And I say uh, flawed because within their ministering that they never really go outside the Gospels to minister. So number one, uh, they have uh, uh, sequestered the people that they would minister to, to those who have money, those who have power, those who have influence, whether they are Christian or not, or not Christian, right? And then they only limit their talk only to the Gospels and some parts of Acts, certain parts of Acts, that is. Something flawed with that. Because if your theological position... It's not being explained by the epistles or the rest of the corporate body of the word of God, then oftentimes it can leave someone with the wrong impression. Now don't get me wrong, I do understand the word of God. I do understand uh, the fact that even when you look at the book of Acts, when you look at some of the epistles, that some of the apostles were only called to the Jews, or certain apostles were only called to the Gentiles. I understand that. But when you begin to look deeper into the epistles, you begin to understand that that gospel was for everyone. Of course, these people in that documentary, they would say the same thing, but yet uh, they have a secret club. Ah, that's a problem. When your club becomes secret, now you can't tell what's going on. You cannot uh, make a theological or biblical judgment as to whether or not if what they're saying and what they're teaching is orthodox or not. You see? So the theological position of that group in that documentary it appears to fail to consider the necessity for all believers ministering to those who are marginalized, those who are orphaned, those who are whittled, and those who are poor. If you didn't know, this organization has ministered in a cloistered organization to presidents, to senators, House of Representatives, Again, to kings, to dictators all over the world. Ministries with such narrow focus run the risk of being divisive at its core because by its very nature it rejects the love of Christ for all people. And they would tell you, no, we don't reject the love of Christ for all people uh, because, uh, in other words, intellectually they, they say this is true, but in practice, but in practice it's totally different. By not allowing the church to have access to what they're doing prevents the church, even with all of its flaws, from speaking into the health, the spiritual health of that ministry. See, anytime, anytime any group tries to keep everything secret, then you know there's a problem with it. 
You know there's a problem if they don't want to let you in on the inner workings, especially the church. Because you remember, when Christ was on the cross, when he says it is finished, you know that the veil of the temple, that it was torn and it opened up to everyone. He didn't keep it secret. It opened up to everyone. This is exactly what we heard about last time when Paul, who was well-versed in the law in this connection to Jesus Christ, he submitted himself uh, to the Jerusalem council in the book of Acts, recall? And he allowed those apostles of the church to speak into his life and speak into the life of the church of Judea. So imitating other believers within the body of Christ creates a unity, right? Imitating others within the body of Christ, it creates a unity that provides an atmosphere for trust and transparency while not creating an air of suspicion. <laughs> Most of the time when there is secrecy within the body of Christ, that culture of doubt develops. I tell you, when everything is out and open, boy, there is such freedom. Amen? So we often think in terms of financial or sexual issues within the church. But theological issues have also been hidden under the guise of secrecy. You see? They try not to let you know everything that they really, really believe. All you got to do is you know, answer your door one Saturday morning in your house. Well, what is it that you really, oh, no, no, uh, don't you know that uh, uh, this world has a problem? But wait a minute, but what do you believe? Well, no, 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 don't you think that there needs to be a change? But what do you really believe? No, 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 uh, don't you know that your children need to have a better life? Right, they're going around and around and around and in circle. If that was me, I would just tell them, Jesus Christ is Lord. And my wife is uh, definitely witness to this when we were at the museum I had mentioned earlier, there was this guy that came up to me. He's like, hey, man. I'm like, and I looked at him. He said, wait, what's going on? He said, you remind me of someone that I know. And he started hugging on me. He did. He just, he was out of nowhere. He started, I'm like, hey, well, what's up? You know, he started talking. You know, the next thing I know, I started hearing Arabic coming out of his mouth. Then all of a sudden, all these Islamic terms. And he's just hugging me. I'm like, yeah, and, and, and so-and-so, my wife was standing right there. And she, well, she, actually, she was at a distance at first, and she saw me. And then she came up. She started looking at me and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Did I know this guy, the way he was hugging on me and talking to me and so on and so forth? I'm like, yeah, man, what's going on? He was talking and talking. He says, yeah, and brother, so-and-so, the Islamic, so-and-so, so the nation, blah, blah, blah. He was just going on and on and on. I'm like, really? I said, well, hey, I'm a pastor. He's like, yeah, okay, okay. I said, yeah. I said, one thing about me, you know, I, I love people. I said, one thing about me, my life is about Jesus Christ. And then he kept on muttering. I said, no, 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 brother. Hey, man, what's going on? But you got to know Jesus Christ is it. And I'm here. And the reason that I'm here is so people can have redemption in Jesus Christ because he died. They buried him. He's risen from the dead on the third day. He's like, oh, all of that probably lasted less than five minutes, five minutes. And he did most of the talking. I said, that's okay. I said, Lord, if you sent him, let's just get the gospel right out there. 
So before he left, he was presented the gospel. I didn't wait around to see if, if, if lightning struck him or if he was crying, if he had come to the Lord. I, but one thing I do know is that he had the gospel before I left. Amen? And if you think about him, whatever his name, I can't remember what his name is, uh, this brother somebody, he says, right? Pray for him. Brother somebody. Amen? Pray for him. Doesn't take much. No pressure. No pressure. All right, where was I? So, the fact that we should imitate other believers within the body of Christ, how it creates that unity, uh, it provides an atmosphere for trust and transparency. Right? It eliminates that suspicion that sometimes are there, things you just don't know about. So at the heart of our current passage, though, we're looking to dive deeper into this sticking togetherness uh, for the body of Christ. We are desire. how can we better adhere to one another within the body of Christ? So I need for you to understand that it is not uh, sticking together in some dysfunctional way. One thing we must do, we must imitate Paul and follow him as he follows Christ. Amen? So if we're going to imitate someone in the body of Christ, it's very important that we follow them as they what? Follow Christ. Uh, that's something that we must understand. See, dysfunctional sticking together is the group is only being at its best according to the weakest person of the, uh, of the group. In other words, no one moves forward until everyone is ready. No, we can't have that. We have to mature. Uh, but yet, uh, we stick together. And as we move forward, what do we do? We take our hand and we say, you need to come on along. Amen? We don't say, well, I'm not going to move forward uh, until you move forward. Well, what we do is we take our hand for those who are lagging behind. And we do like this. Say, I'm going this way and you need to come on. Amen? We need to pull everyone along in the body of Christ. And then ultimately, if they don't want to go, what do we do? If they don't want to go, what do we do? Keep on going. They're going to yell. They may scream. Oh, you this. You think you're better than that. Say, no, no, it has nothing to do with this. But I'm moving on with my walk in Jesus Christ. And you need to move along too so we can stay together in the body of Christ. But if you don't want to go, I have to go without you. Amen? We must move forward. We cannot stay stuck behind in some type of dysfunctional unity within the body of Christ because dysfunction, it stunts the growth of the church. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and you know this very well, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, uh, what is good, acceptable and perfect. Conformity in the church is only possible because of our transformation in Christ. Conformity in the church is only possible because of our transformation in Christ. As we are all transformed by the life and work of Jesus Christ, we become unified unless we shroud ourselves in the guise of privacy or secrecy. But unification requires conformity 
If we're going to be unified, there must be conformity. If we're going to be unified, there must be transformation according to one standard. There must be one standard. It's kind of like in music, there's this thing you may have seen, it's called a tuning fork. Right? Uh, typically they'll hit the tuning fork, it starts to vibrate, it makes a sound, and all the instruments or voices they get uh, their tuning from that one thing, you know? Uh, the, the one person to, to, can use a, 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 an app now, right? But uh, if everyone uses an app, one person tunes to the tuning fork, next person tunes to the tuning fork or the tuning app, the next person tunes to the tuning fork or the tuning app, but at the end of the day, when everyone has been tuned to that one standard, what happens is that everyone is tuned, what? Together. So if me and you and you and you and you and you, all of us, if, if we were tuned to the tuning fork of Jesus Christ, then we all should be what? Tune together, right? Because it is Jesus. I, I am not the one that sets the standard. Uh, neither are you, neither are you. It is Jesus Christ. He is central. He sets A440. Jesus Christ, he sets the one sound. He says, tune to me, tune to me, tune to me. And when we are tuned to him, we are tuned to one another. Amen? But you know, in the body of Christ, there's some that have come here, there's some that come to many other churches, and they are tuned to some other tuning fork. Typically, there is a standard in America called A440. That is certain vibrations that happen that everybody tunes to. But in Europe, you know, they, uh, they had a standard called, uh, called A, A435, which is slightly all from A440, if you can imagine. So the tuning is a little bit different. So if you were to take someone who's tuned to A440 and someone who's tuned to A435 and put them together, the sounds would probably disrupt your hearing. So there are people who come within the body of Christ uh, that are tuned to a different tuning fork. They say they are tuned to Christ. In fact, you look at it, okay, they're tuned to A. Okay, they got that. They're tuned to A4. They got that. Everything looks the same. Everything looks right. But then you notice they're tuned to A435. Barely perceptible. But yet when you come together, you notice there's always conflict. There's always problems because they are running their life uh, being beat to a different drummer. So for us, we are tuned to Jesus Christ and his standard. And we are called the body of Christ. We should therefore imitate the life of Paul or the life of someone we know lives in the way of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is perfect. The Lord knows it doesn't mean that I'm perfect. And Lord knows it certainly means that you're not perfect. Can you say amen? Because you know that's true about you. Amen. We are not perfect. It means 
However, that there are some characteristics that are worth imitating that you see in the other person. They are modeling things that you find attractive or alluring, and you want to be like them to some degree. In fact, many of you do this today when you purchase the latest uh, fashion and clothing. Women, they do this by wearing a dress. There's this uh, picture that I saw of uh, uh, two women in uh, uh, two white dresses at a wedding. And you know, come on, everybody knows that at a wedding, there's only one lady that's supposed to wear white. Who is it? The bride. And anyone else that wears white is considered an insult. But at this wedding, the bride wears white, and guess what? The mother-in-law wears white. Isn't that beautiful? What a way to start a wedding with fireworks, amen. And I'm not talking about the kind that explode after the uh, husband and the wife go off into the sunset. So women, they like the way a dress and pants or a blouse looks on another person, and, and then you think it would look nice on you, so you buy it. You're not trying to be like that person. But you say that clothes are pretty cool and you uh, want to wear that. You think it'll look nice on you. So for believers, imitating Paul means living in a way pleasing to the Lord, putting behind any characteristic detrimental to God's glory and his name. By living in this manner, it allows believers also to exist in a discerning lifestyle, putting on Christ putting those things behind. Remember that? A discerning lifestyle allows a believer to know what is right and what is not uh, right without having to experience the life of another. Certain things you don't have to do to know that they are detrimental to your life, or that you don't have to drink until you can't see or falling on the ground to know that if you keep this up, you're going to destroy your liver. You don't have to drink until you are just uh, totally out of your mind until the quality of your life begins to shrink. You don't have to drink to that degree. Just look at them. Say, no, I'm not going to follow in that fashion. So now, taking all of that into consideration, Scripture conveys two types of paths that we could take. The first path is that of an enemy of the cross enemy of the cross. And the other path is a friend of the cross or a friend of Jesus. So let's first deal with the enemy of the cross. We're warned about that. Verse 18 and 19. Philippians chapter 3. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These people in their spiritual philosophy live in opposition to the ways of the Lord. <laughs> uh, I was uh, watching another documentary. This time it was a documentary about the life of, of, of Bruce Lee. And 
as you begin to look deeper and deeper into his life, that one thing you, uh, just in case you didn't know, when I was a kid, I was, I was crazy about Bruce Lee. We used to have pictures in our basement from wall to wall, Bruce Lee doing all kind of crazy stuff. He was, he, he, he was one of my superheroes, if you can count one. But anyway, as you, as you look at this documentary, you soon discover that he began to go off deep into Buddhism and that his martial arts began to reflect that lifestyle and, and supposedly living a good life and how you need to be encouraged in that life. He says, it, it all, you can take a little bit, he says, take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, and you end up with this amalgamation. It's one thing that's really, really good. That's what he says. Of course, uh, discounting uh, Christianity and other things as well. So you look at his life and you hear him talk, and he sounds so free. He sounds so free, like he has it all together. He's in shape. You know, he's doing all this. He's making this money. He's doing all this but then you look at the end of his life, and he ODs on drugs. So a spiritual philosophy devoid of Christ is an end of the road. So scripture says here, Philippians 3.18, that there are enemies who are enemies of the cross, which is antithetical to what Paul had just said in verse 17. Uh, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, Paul says, look at us, but then there are those who are enemies of the cross, and they are two opposing forces. The enemies of the cross are not using that model, uh, but another model of discipleship that does not include the cross of Christ as a focal point. Jesus is not uh, that focal point. It's his atonement uh, for spiritual and practical necessity. Some of you have run into these types of individuals whose doctrines sound like yours, right? You know, it sounds like it's almost tuned to A440, but yet they continue to talk, and then you notice it's tuned to A435. It's not the same. It sounds similar, but there's something wrong and then Paul says, in verse 18, that there are not a few enemies of the cross. He says, what? For who? For many. He says, for many. So you as a believer, you know the difference between truth and error. Some enemies of the cross never wanted Jesus to sacrifice himself. Matthew chapter 27, verse 40. In saying, it says, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In other words, don't sacrifice yourself if you are the Son of God. So what would be the end result if Jesus did not sacrifice himself, if Jesus did not sacrifice himself for our sin, where would we be today? We would be there in sin with no hope of eternity with 
God, we would be done. So by having someone, the enemy of the cross, telling Jesus, you just come down off of there. Maybe they didn't know what they were talking about because they were definitely being motivated by a demonic spirit, no question about that. But they were telling Jesus, come down from the cross. In other words, don't sacrifice yourself. Which is why many say that Jesus didn't have to sacrifice himself for me. Which is why some say it never happened in the first place. Because they are being under the influence as an enemy of the cross. Some of the enemies of the cross misunderstand it. They misunderstand the power and the effectiveness of the cross. John uh, chapter 19, verse 19. John 19 and 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Uh, Pilate uh, did not have that inscribed on the cross because that's what he believed. Did you know that? Pilate had that inscribed on the cross uh, because he was being sarcastic. He was mocking Jesus Christ. See, Pilate, who was governing Jerusalem at the time, saw Jesus and what he was doing as a weakened, uh, self-proclaimed figurehead whose own people rejected him. <laughs> For Pilate, there was no power in the cross because he thought there was no power in Jesus. But we know that there is power in the cross because there is what? Power in Jesus. For Pilate, you're saying, look at Jesus. He's supposed to be a king. Where is his army? Where are your weapons? Where is your throne? Are you a king? You don't, you, you don't even have the clothes. We took the clothes off your body. How can you be a king? Undoubtedly, today's enemies of the cross view Christians as a group of people with a powerless leader who had done nothing for his people. Why? Because they say Christians look just like everybody else. Christians act just like everyone else. But at the end of the day, those who are the enemies of the cross oppose the very gospel. And they reject it. And they want others to reject it as well. We need look no further than our media entertainers who blindly speak against Christ and label Christianity as nonsense. They go as far as creating movies that are supposed to be documentaries which mock the Lord and all of his disciples. These pieces are blasphemous to the core. So the end of things for those who oppose the cross or who oppose Christ Jesus is their destruction. No, it will not be annihilation causing them to evaporate off the face of the earth, uh, but they will be separated from God, and yes, they would spend an eternity in the lake of fire. But another identifiable characteristic of the enemy of the cross is their fondness for the things of the flesh. Again, verse 19 in Philippians 3. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Where is your mind? What are you always thinking about most of the time? We say, uh, something that could be our model is, I desire, so I do. 
This is something I, I, I want, so this is what I'm going to do. Jesus says it another way in Luke chapter 12, verse 18, when he speaks uh, the parable about the rich man. Luke 12, verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Right? Relax. Take it easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Uh, Jesus says, not knowing that uh, this night his soul is going to be required of him. When you're only concerned about yourself, getting all your lust, all your desires met, then your belly is your God. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, he says. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And they smooth and, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their what? Their own appetites. It's important to see that Paul had to deal with a very similar issue even with the Romans. People who are looking out for themselves, themselves and their own appetite. So our passage in Philippians goes on to say that uh, they glory in their shame and their minds are set on the things of the earth. The enemies of the cross. Of course, that was one path we discern, but the other path is existing on the earth as citizens of heaven, which makes you a friend of the cross or a friend of Jesus. Believers, we are citizens of heaven living on earth. Philippians 3 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We have a Savior, a calling which is powerfully transformative. This contrast those people who set their mind on earthly things, as we saw in verse 19. Now, as we read through the remaining two verses, uh, you need to notice something very carefully. Now, before at the beginning of our passage, we begin in verse 17. I need for you to look at this. Paul, in the passage beginning in verse 17, he began to refer, using a language, to pronouns you and I. Just look at that, verse 17, verse 18. You and I. And then switching in, verse 18, 
he mentions them. The enemies of the cross whose God is their belly. See that? They glory in their shame and set their minds on earthly things. He refers to them uh, as enemies of the cross, uh, as as there and them. He's speaking to them. First, he's talking about uh, uh, I or you. And now, these last two verses, look at the switch now. He uses words like our and we. Again, sticking together because of the joy of the gospel. He said, it's it's us, brothers and sisters. We have a special class in Christ. It's us. We live on earth, but we are citizens of another country, namely heaven. And believers, we are transformed in our bodies, our very flesh, to be similar to the Lord who does not currently suffer the ravages of sin, disease, injury, or even temptation. All of this is possible because of the power that enables the Lord to do what he does. That same power that subjects everything to Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.20, Philippians 2.10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So by choosing the right path, you and I will be able to stand firm as we imitate Jesus Christ and the saints who also imitate the Lord. Our superhero should be Jesus who surpasses the fakeness of the characters we see in motion pictures, on television, and in cartoons. Imitate Jesus, because Jesus is alive. We can look up in the sky. Is it a bird? (laughs) Is it a plane? Jesus is faster than a speeding bullet. Jesus can walk through walls. But Jesus is real. So who do you want to be like? Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to stand firm, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, I want to be like you. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord. Get our minds set on the things in heaven and not on the things of this earth. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God.